All right, I'm ready to jump into the message today, and, and, and we're in week four of our stewardship series entitled Entrusted, Entrusted. And in this series, we have been talking about stewarding all the different resources that God has placed in your life, and I've been very strategic at the begin, beginning of every single sermon to say that this is not strictly about money, because God has brought all different types of resources to our life that we are to steward well. This is the last Last sermon in this series, and this time I do want to zone in very specifically on money itself because money touches every single aspect of our life. And so, of this entire series, this is the only one that we're going to be talking about specifically about money. And here's why I want to strike a serious note from the beginning. There have been so many of us that have way to lake at night thinking, How in the world am I going to pay that bill? There's been so many of us weighing a lake at night, knowing that we have a doctor's visit that we need to go to that we're not sure how we're going to pay for that. There's been so many of us that we have weighed awake at night, trying to figure out how we're going to make the ends meet in our financial situation. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand, because if I did, I'm sure that every single one of us in this room would raise our hand, because every single one of us have come into different moments in life in which we're not sure how we were going to survive financially. Now, the scary thing in life is that all of us have probably been there before, and the reality that we all know is all of us are going to be there again at some point in our life, where we're looking at the checkbook and we're thinking, I don't know if I can make all of this work. However, when we start looking at the Word of God, what we see is that God has principles for our finances that He wants us to live out. And when we live out those finances, what we are doing is we're putting our faith in the Lord, saying, I am not going to trust my own ability to manage my money, but rather I'm going to follow my Creator, and I'm going to trust that He knows how to make my money stretch in ways that I can't see come to pass. Here's the big idea of this message that I want you to see. We as Christians are not to have a poverty mindset because we are Christians, and in Christ we have every spiritual blessing. Christ has called us to be spiritually wealthy, and our earthly position should reflect our heavenly position. I want you to think about that. Our earthly position should reflect our heavenly position when it comes to our finance. Now, does that mean that every single one of us are going to be wealthy? No, I do not believe that's to be the case. I don't think that every one of us are going to be millionaires. I don't think we're going to have so much money that we're just going out and we're spending it without having to think. However, I do believe that we're all called to be blessed and we're to approach life from the perspective that God has blessed us and that he has entrusted us to be able to meet what we need in life. Now, I have to be honest with you. I believe when I was younger, I had a little bit of a poverty mindset. I didn't think that I could save money. I didn't think that I, I always thought that I would struggle to pay bills. I thought that I would never be able to do the things that I needed to do. And my pastor challenged me in this thinking. He said, why is your mind in the gutter when it comes to your money? Why do you think that you're always going to be broke, that you're never going to be able to make the ends meet? He said, I'm not telling you that you're going to be a millionaire, but what I am telling you is that God does provide and you need to stop thinking negatively when it comes to your finances. And I believe that he was right. 
right and I was wrong in that area. The key to finances is to understand the proper biblical perspective when it comes to our money. And so today's message is going to be different than my normal style. We're going to be looking at biblical principles of finance from the book of Proverbs. And so we're going to be looking at a lot of scripture. We're going to be drinking from the proverbial fire hose because I believe that these principles can resonate in your life when you apply these principles, God's favor will rest upon you and you'll see his results in your money. Now to set this message up, I want to read to you a a quote from Kevin DeYoung, and this is going to frame, I I believe, this message well for us. He says this, quote, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 through 31 says that Christ is for our wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let those who boast, boast in the Lord. He goes on to say this, money cannot give you any of the things that you ultimately need. It cannot make you holy. It cannot make you righteous. It cannot save you from your sins. Wealth is a sign of blessing, but it is also one of your biggest temptations because it entices you to boast in yourself. It promises you your self-worth, and it promises to make you self-sufficient. It invites you to boast in something or someone other than the Lord. So through and through, money is an issue of faith. Believe that doing things God's way is the best way for you. Believe that if you give your money away, that he can give it back to you. Believe that money can be good, but don't you dare believe that it is everything. Money is a gift from God, but the gift that you really need can only be found in God. And I think that's a powerful framework for what we're talking about today. Indeed, money is a gift from the Lord, but it's not the ultimate gift. And it's definitely not the ultimate gift that every single one of us need in our life. What we ultimately need is Christ. We need his holiness, his righteousness, and we need to be in right standing with him. And as a result of when we trust in Christ with our life, we will also have faith when it comes to our money. So with this framework today, I want to give you six principles from the book of Proverbs with money. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Proverbs, it's a book on wisdom. It's the wisdom literature in the scripture. And Proverbs are descriptive, meaning that they tell us what genuinely happens when we live a certain way. Not 100% of the time, but if you look at the totality of your life and you live according to the Proverbs, you're going to see these results and the end. Now, with that framework and with that understanding, I want you to know today I'm going to be reading you a lot of scripture, and I'm doing that for two reasons. First, to show you that God has a lot to say about money. These things that I'm about to give you are not my ideas. They are what God intends for us to understand when it comes to our money. And the second thing is this, is even though I'm giving you a lot of scripture today, I'm hoping that one of them resonates with you and is applicable to your situation. I remember there was a time when Charity and I did not know how we were going to buy groceries. And I remember quoting to the Lord over and over and over again, it said, the the psalm that said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. And so I'd say, Lord, I know that you're not going to forsake me. And I know that I'm not going to have to beg. I just don't know how you're going to make it happen. And that scripture verse encouraged me in that situation that I was in. So as I read these verses, when one of these points resonates with where you're at, hold on to these verses and take it to the Lord and say, Lord, this is what your word says. I'm doing what you've asked me to do. And I'm having my faith that you're going to bring the ends to the pass. Principle number one, money is a tool, but it is not God. 
The very first principle we need to see about money is that money is not evil. Money is not good, and money is not God. Money is simply currency that we use to meet our needs in life. Now, there's a lot of emotion that is surrounded with money. Some people view money as an evil thing. Some people go to the other extreme and view money as God. We know there's a lot of money, uh, a lot of emotion wrapped around money because we can see how people react when they have a lot of money or when they lose a lot of money. It's funny to watch rednecks win the lottery because they go insane, right? How many of you have sat around with your spouse and talked about, boy, if we want a million dollars, here's what we do with the money? Come on, raise your hand if you've done that. You've all done it. We dreamed about what we do if we want a million dollars, correct? We also know there's a lot of money based upon people's emotions when they lose money. When people lose a great deal of money, they will do desperate things. If you're a student of history, you know during the Great Depression that there are many accounts of people who took their own life after they lost all their money in the stock market. In fact, if you were paying attention to the news, there was a tragic story a few months ago of a young man who thought he lost $100 million in the stock market and he took his own life. Terrible tragedy. Why? Because there's a lot of emotion that is surrounded by money. Now, that's pretty interesting response to a piece of paper, isn't it? It's interesting when you think about it that money is nothing more than paper with dead presidents on it. And yet it creates this emotion in our life. You can't eat the money. It's super dirty. You definitely don't want to put it in your mouth, right? Google that when you get home. You'll wash your hands after you touch a dollar bill every time. I promise you that. More, it's grody stuff, right? You need to bleach that stuff when you get it in your house. You can't eat it. It has no intrinsic value of its own. And yet it creates all this emotion inside of us. But what we have to understand, this is very important for us to understand, is that money is an inanimate object. It can't do anything. And as such, how we use the money determines the moral consequences of that money. The money in itself is not good. It is not evil. How we use it determines the moral consequences of that piece of paper. It's not good. It's not evil. We determine if the money is good and evil. And that teaches us something. We're good and evil. And we can tell the slant of our heart by how we use our money. If money is in our hands and we're investing it to help someone else, that's a good thing. It's a blessing. If we take that money and we use it for greedy things to indulge in our own sinful behavior, then it's a bad thing. So understanding that money isn't God, but it's a reflection of our hearts is vital in us managing our money well. Because of the emotions associated, we have a tendency to fall into one to two extremes as Christians. We either buy into the prosperity gospel notion where we believe that God owes us everything, and that if we don't have a lot of money, then we have done something wrong. That is a false gospel. That is not accurate according to Scripture. On the other hand, there's another belief that unless you live in extreme poverty and destitute, then you cannot be a Christian. Neither perspective is is proper according to scripture and both can lead us into the weeds. When we get the wrong perspective of money, either we view it as God or we view it as evil. And what God is calling us to do is view money as a tool. Let me read you some Proverbs according to uh, what money is to do. Money does not satisfy Proverbs 23 verse four through five. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. 
When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings and flies away like an eagle towards heaven. How many of you have ever had like $100 in your pocket and it just disappeared like that, right? Your wife spent it, kids borrowed some money, you went and bought a couple two-by-fours at Lowe's, right? It's gone. I kid you not, they're $14 a piece now. Good Lord Almighty. They sprung wings and flew away like eagles when you go into Lowe's. It goes quickly. You think I'm kidding. I'm not. Money is inferior to wisdom. Proverbs 8, 10, 11. Take my instructions instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all you may desire cannot compare to her. You ever met somebody that had a lot of money and they were dumb as a box of rocks? Yeah. Why? Wisdom is worth more than money. Why? Because money is just a tool. Money is inferior to righteousness. Proverbs 10.2, treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. Money is inferior to the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 15.16, better a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. There's people who have millions of dollars in the bank, and yet they're staying with the Lord is wrong on the day of judgment. They're going to figure out that tool that they put their hope in was not worth it. Money is inferior to humility, Proverbs 16, 19. It is better to be lowly in spirit with the poor than to divide the spoils with the proud. Money is inferior to good relationships. Some of you are so wealthy because of the people you have in your life. Proverbs 15, 17. Better is a dinner of herbs with, where love is than a fattened calf and hatred with it. So when we start looking at scripture, what we see is that money is just a tool in our hand. But anytime that we start elevating it above these other things, above righteousness or humility or good relationships or a right standing with God, we start to turn money inwardly and it starts to become greed for us, which is the fundamental sin of money. Proverbs 22, 16. Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or get or to give to get rich will only come to poverty. So I need to realize that God has brought finances to me as a tool to bring him glory and to be a blessing to other people and to use to provide for my own needs in life. And so that is why the principle of tithing is so important for Christians. If you don't know what that is, it's a principle that many Christians, myself, adhere to. We believe that God has called us to give the first 10% of our finance to uh, the local church. This is something I did way before I became a pastor is something I will do way after I stop pastoring. Why? Because I've seen God's faithfulness in tithing. And what tithing says is, God, I know this is a tool in my hand. It's not God. I know it's inferior to so many other things, and I'm showing you that I trust you with it. Malachi 3 verse 6 says this, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. I'm glad that God is merciful. Amen. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and your contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, and then there may be food in my house, and therefore put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour down upon you a blessing until you have no more need. 
And I will rebuke the devourer for you so that will not destroy the fruits of your soil and the vine of your field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be in the land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Here's what tithing does for me personally. And you don't have to do this if you don't want to. This is between you and the Lord. But I'll tell you this, tithing orders my finances and gets it in the proper order in my life. It shows me that money isn't my God, that God is my God. He gets the first 10%, and then everything else, I'm trusting him to make the ends meet. And you know what that has done for me from time to time? It has taken the pressure off of me, because there have been times when I've had a need, and I've said, Lord, I've been faithful to you. You promised to open up windows of heaven for blessing. You promised that the devourer is not going to overtake me, and I am trusting you to make this need met. And you know what God does? Every time he meets the need. Now, listen, that's between you and the Lord. No one's ever going to guilt you in this church into tithing. No one's ever going to ask you unless you want to serve as a pastor or deacon if you are a tither. And the reason why we ask our pastors and deacons is because they're the ones that are in charge of the finances. And it's just my opinion that unless you're contributing, you don't get to dictate how you spend other people's money. Amen? All right, that's fair, isn't it? So our, our deacons and our pastors, we make sure they tithe. The rest of you, that's between you and the Lord. But I will tell you this, is that trusting God with the substance of your finance is positioning you to say this, God, I need you. I've been faithful, and I promise you time and time again, God will. You want to take my word for it? You don't have to talk to someone who does tithe, and I promise you they will tell the same thing. Why do I know that? Otherwise, they'd stop doing it. They wouldn't do it if they didn't see the, the benefit of it. They've put the Lord to the test and they've seen it come to pass. Principle number two, money doesn't reflect our self-worth. So just as, a, as money is a tool, it isn't God. So too, money is not a sign of your value or your self-worth. Furthermore, money is not even necessarily a sign of blessing nor is the lack of money necessarily a sign of curse. There are extremes of wealth and poverty that both provide unique temptations with those who have them. Proverbs 30, verse 7 through 9 says this, Two things I ask of you. This is the, this is the writer speaking to the Lord. Two things I've asked for you. Deny me not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and says, who is the Lord, or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Here's what the writer's teaching us. There's dangers in extremes of poverty and of riches. The writer says, look, if I'm super wealthy, then I might not need the Lord at all. He said, on the other hand, if I'm super impoverished and I'm starving to death, I might steal and profane the name of the Lord. So God, just give me what I need, and I'm going to be satisfied with you. Poverty is not pretty. Proverbs 10, 15 says this, a rich man's wealth is a strong city, but the poverty of the poor is their ruin. So poverty is not pretty, but on the other hand, money is not your ultimate security. Proverbs eleven seven says this, when the wicked dies, his hope will perish and the expectations of his wealth perish too. So what we see here in the, right off the beginning of these Proverbs is that money isn't a sign of ultimate blessing, nor is it a sign of ultimate curse. And what happens for so many of us is we put our worth and our value tied up to it, and we allow that to start to skew our understanding if we are blessed as brothers and sisters in Christ. Our prayer and our desire, every single one of us, no matter what is in our bank account, is to say, God, meet my needs. 
Meet my needs. Whatever need I have, meet those needs. And let your self-worth be tied into who you are in Christ. The reason why this is important is because a lot of us have put our self-worth into what we have. And so when we lose stuff, we get down upon ourselves. Or when we gain stuff, we get prideful. Ultimately, it's all tied to comparison. And comparison has one of two outcomes. When I compare myself to someone else, I either feel prideful because I feel like I'm better than they are, or I feel ashamed because I don't have or I can't do what they do. Money does the exact same thing to us. But our worth is supposed to be found in Christ. When we, feel, when we realize that our worth is in Christ, then we will desire opportunity to tangibly be blessing to other people because we know our value is ultimately in Christ, and we saw how Christ has blessed us. So for our first two principles, we see that they're theological in nature, right? Money is simply a tool. It is not God. Our self-worth is tied to Christ, not our money. Therefore, I can be generous. I can be obedient to the Lord and our money. The third principle I want to show you is this. Stewardship takes time and effort to see fruitfulness. Hard work and good decision-making ultimately lead to an increase prosperity. Or said another way, hard work and stewardship takes time and effort. Proverbs 6, 6 through 11 says this, Go to the ant, O sluggard, and consider her ways, and be wise. Without any chief or officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep and a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. Ants are pretty crazy creatures. As a kid, maybe you were like me, and you sat around and you watched them. They just always follow each other in a line, and they're always working, and they're carrying things that are bigger than they are. They're working in unison, and yet they don't seem to have a leader or a commander, and you think, how does that happen? Well, the proverb is using the ant. He says, look at the ants. It's a small, unassuming creature. And yet the ant is smart enough to realize that winter is coming. And if they're going to have food for the winter, then they need to be working right now. And he says, look at that as a principle. Look at that as a principle. If you want to be able to provide for your needs, then it's only going to come through diligent hard work and preparation. No one is going to meet your needs for you. We talked about last week how God created us to be good stewards, how God did not put Adam into the garden and did not allow anything to grow in the garden until the man was there to work it. And what that teaches us is that we all have a job to do. And the ant is taking on the resources and the responsibilities to meet their needs. And we need to take that same, that same example for our own life to be responsible for our own needs. So what are, the, what are the, the ways in which we can properly do that? Through hard work and budgeting. Budgeting. Can I get a strong amen for a budget? Hey, I thought I was just kidding. I didn't know you guys would actually respond to that. Budgets are not fun. Most of the time, the word budget makes people skin crawl because budgeting takes time. It's not fun. Now, there's about five people in here who love making budgets. If you love making a budget, raise your hand really high. I love making budgets. So one, two, three, four, 
five, six, seven, eight of us in here. I don't know how many people are in here, but eight of us enjoy this, okay? I have an app on my phone. If you'd like to talk to me afterwards, every dollar app is awesome, okay? <laughs> so anyways, I don't know what you all use, but budgets are awesome because I like to know where I stand at any amount of time. But here's the deal. Budgeting is a pathway. It's a tool to make your money effective. I love watching people, uh, videos of people who have chainsaws who don't know how to cut down trees and they always cut down the tree and it falls on their house. <laughs> That's terrible, isn't it? But it's funny to watch because you look at it, you're like, hey, that's not going to work very good. And then somebody at the camera's like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. It, at that point, it's too late. The tree is already coming down, right? Here's what happened. Some guy was given a powerful tool and he didn't know how to use it and it caused ruin in his life. And money without budgets is like to do with the chainsaw. It's going to bring ruin. It's a shiny tool. It sounds cool when you start it up. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm a logger. And then next thing you know, your house <laughs> is in complete shambles. That's the same thing that happens when you get a little bit of money and you don't know how to budget it. You ultimately, it flies away and creates destruction in your life. Proverbs 10.4 says this, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Diligence, that's kind of an interesting word, isn't it? It's consistency, it's time, it's some forethought. It's not the most skillful hand. He didn't say that. But the hand of the skillful makes rich. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say the hand of the most talented. He didn't say the hand of the person who's the strongest. No, it's the hand of the diligence. You know, the interesting thing about diligence is that anybody can practice diligence. Proverbs 13, 11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle. But whoever gathers little by little will increase it. See, I'm in the little camp. You know, that's me. Now you're talking my kind of money. It comes little bits at a time. But if you are, what? Gather little by little. So if you're diligent with the little bit that comes in, what happens? It increases. What does this tell us? This gives hope for all of us. It means that you don't have to be making $500,000 a year to meet your needs. If you're diligent with what comes in, you can increase it. Proverbs 21.20. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. Ah, so wise people take the stuff that they have and they start to, they start to hold on to it and they start to allocate it. Foolish people just devour it instantly when it comes into their hands. What these verses are telling us is that when we're diligent in managing our money, We'll be able to gather it little bit by little bit. That's why everybody needs a budget. You need to be looking at your finances. You don't believe me, so let me read you another proverb. Proverbs 27, verse 23 through 27. Listen to this very carefully. Know well the conditions of your flocks and give attention to your herds. For riches do not last forever. And does a crown endure for all generations? When the grass is grown and new growth appears and vegetation on the mountain is gathered, the lambs will provide your clothing and the goats the price of the field. There will be enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household and the maintenance for your girls. You need to know the conditions of your flock. And what's your flock? It's your money. It's your finances. You need to know well the condition of what you have. To create a proper budget, it's going to take time. You're going to have to sit down. You're going to have to look at everything. You need to figure accurately what you're bringing in. You need to figure accurately what your bills are. You need to figure accurately what it takes to survive. Once you've compiled that information, then you need to take every dollar and give it a name. And if you've ever listened to Dave Ramsey, you've heard that before. Every dollar gets a name. 
You tell it what it's going to do so that it doesn't just fly off, right? And then you say X amount for giving, and X amount for savings, and X amount for bills, and X amount for necessities, and X amount for fun. I love what Dave says to that. He says, you manage your money well, or you're going to give it to people who do manage their money well. And you know who does very, very well at managing their money? Jeff Bezos. Amazon does very, very well at managing their money. And a lot of us have sent our money to him. You know, we have helped, you know, he's building, this is pretty cool, actually. He's building the, Lord, the world's largest sailboat yacht, okay? This thing is so massive, I kid you not, that it will have a secondary yacht that is going to go behind the primary yacht just for the helicopter to land on. I kid you not. You guys didn't think that was cool? I thought that was awesome. How, how cool is that? My yacht is so big and it has such big sails on it that I need to build a second yacht for my helicopter to land on. That is, I thought that was cool. I thought you guys would be like, that's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. And we helped him buy it. Why? Because we were on Amazon on Prime Day and we're like, yeah, I need a new toaster oven. And you said, yes, buy now, swipe right. You know what I mean? Okay, that's just me. Moving on. I did not buy a toaster oven, by the way. I bought very manly things like tools and books and stuff, not toaster ovens. Principle four. Work is your pathway to wealth. All of us would love to inherit $10 million, but that's not a reality for all, most of us. Therefore, if we intend to have the things we need, we're going to have to plan to work for it. Again, Proverbs 10.4, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Proverbs 12.11, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but whoever follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Proverbs 14.23, in all toil there is profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. One of the worst parts of our culture today is how lazy people have become. Now, we don't see it quite as much here in our county, uh, in the state of Oklahoma. People tend to have a better work ethic than in most places, yet most people are very lazy. Now, that seems like a very depressing thing. That's actually the greatest opportunity for people who know how to work hard. It's never been easier in the history of the world to get ahead than today's age. I don't care what they say on the news. I have people all the time that we interact with here at the church who are business people who tell me that they can't hire anybody. They can't find anybody who wants to work. So if you have a little bit of a work ethic, guess what? You are light years ahead of the competition. And at the end of the day, competition matters. And people are looking for people who work hard. And the hardest working people on the planet should be Christians. Why? Because God created us in his image and God is always working. He told, Jesus said, look, my father's always at work. That's why I'm working. And so part of our DNA makeup should be to work hard. To work hard. There are three primary differences. This is good. Pay attention to this. The rest of it you can forget, but this is good. Okay? There are three primary differences in humans from all of God's other creation. First, we have the ability to have a relationship. No other creature on the planet has relationships like humans do. That shows us that we're different than they are. The second thing is that we have the ability to create. That's what separates humans from every other creature on the planet. Others might make birds, might make nests and little things, but nobody creates things the way humanity does. Well, it shows us that we're different because God is a creator. And third, we live forever in either heaven or hell, but we're going to live forever. It makes us different from creation. The second one's important because within that ability to create is to take raw resources and make them into a workable product. God created and he desires for us to create. So what, do you, what skills has he placed in your life? What effort do you have 
And what can you start working on right now to increase your income if you need to do that? What do you need to be working on right now? Some of you are dissatisfied with where you are in life. You're dissatisfied with your job. You're dissatisfied with your income. Some of you are like, man, I'm just, I am working like a dog, but I still seem to just go from paycheck to paycheck. What do you need to be working on? What do you need to be creating right now in your life? Some of you need to be working on getting a better job. Some of you need to be working on yourself to make you more marketable. Some of you need to continue working on your education. Some of you need to be working and being more fruitful and trust the process. What do you need to be working on? Don't fear work, embrace it, because God has created you to do that. Very quickly, my last two points are this. First, or excuse me, point number, principle number five, make your money work for you. Now, understand what I'm saying in this. Consumer debt is your enemy. Consumer debt is your enemy. This is the exact opposite of how most of us in the Western world live. We make money to pay for things that we've already consumed. Like we're paying off a trip that we took last year. And we're paying off the TV that we got six months ago. And we're paying, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And debt makes you a slave to that thing. Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Proverbs 22, 26, and 27. Be not one of those who gives pledges and puts up security for debt. If you have nothing, if you have nothing with which to pay, why should your bed not be taken away from you? Here's what the principles are saying. It's not saying that that's evil. It's just saying, look, that's going to make you a slave to that thing that you just bought on credit. Consumer debt is crippling America, uh, American finances right now. Debt is the easiest thing to acquire. It's the hardest thing to pay off. And what these proverbs are showing us is that debt keeps us paying for things that we've already consumed because the creditor is going to expect their money back. This doesn't mean that all debt is bad. It just means that you're enslaved to whatever that you are buying. So in debt, instead of debt, you need to learn how to invest your money well. And Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for righteousness. Start a retirement account. Start saving money. Start, it's not about being greedy. It's not about hoarding. It's about stewarding well. Sixth principle I want you to see is this. Savings buys you freedom. Savings buys you freedom. I read the proverb in Proverbs 6 a minute ago where it says, consider the ant, they're storing up for the winter. Ultimately, savings allows you to get the things that you need. You'll notice that people who have money tend to find the best deals. Have you ever noticed that? You ever had a rich uncle that just seems like he always finds things cheap? He's like, yeah, I was going down the road. I bought this car for like $400. It has like five miles on it. You know, the guy was desperate for money. <laughs> you, ever, you ever notice that? Like, is that just me? You know why that happens? It's because they have money when they see the good deals, they're able to buy it. And here's what, here's what you can start doing in your own life. You have things that you need in your life, but you might not need them like right now, you know, start saving money. And what you'll notice is, as you start saving money, again, it's not talking about having $50 million in the bank. Talk about saving your money. And as you save your money, you'll notice that you'll start getting better deals. Why? Because when the good opportunity comes along, you won't have to go borrow money from the bank. You won't have to put it on a credit card. You can just go buy it right then. What are you doing? You're saving up for winter. You're doing what the ant did. You're saving up for the things that you need so that when the opportunity comes and the need is there, you're able to do it. That's what the scripture tells us to do. Savings buys you freedom. We have this a little bit backwards in our society. We look at the credit card as freedom. What we need to do is start looking at the savings account as freedom. And we need to look at the credit card as debt. When we say saving, we're like, oh, it sounds so restrictive. 
You mean I can't go, ah, oh, so we have to go, you know, we have to go eat McDonald's tonight to save money? Yes. But it'll buy you freedom. It'll buy you freedom on the backside. I want to close with this. Charity, if you want to come back. Here's what I want you to see in all this. I know there's a lot of scripture I read, a lot of principles, a lot of points. It was very meaty in nature. But here's what I want you to catch, is that God in his word has told us everything that we need to know about money to get where he wants us to go. Now, that should give us comfort and hope. You know, I started this message out by saying a lot of us have laid awake at night worrying about money. And the fact is, there is nothing that will stress you out more in life, it feels like, than money. Let's just be vulnerable for a minute. How many of you have ever waited like at night, just like, man, how am I going to pay for something? Raise your hand. Keep it up, because I want everybody to see it. Ever, in your life. Everybody's hands up. <laughs> Why? Because it touches everything. It touches everything. But here's what I want you to see. There's hope in this. There's hope in this. The principles can bring us some deductive conclusions. When I look at these six things in life, I see that when I work hard, I can be productive. It's never too late to start saying, you know what? I'm tired of weighing on the lake at night worrying. I'm going to get up early. I'm going to stay five minutes late at the job. I'm going to be the most productive, hardworking person there is. I'm going to be generous towards people around me. I'm going to sow and reap. Yeah, I, I might not be the wealthiest person, but I can, I can contribute to someone else's need. I want to be generous as the Lord has been generous to me. I'm going to budget carefully. If God's telling me to know the conditions of my flocks, and this is the flock that he has brought me, then I'm going to, I'm going to manage it to the best of my ability. I'm not going to buy s- stupid things that I don't need on a credit card. I'm going to start saving. I'm going to find a way to make my money work for me. Not being slave. Those simple conclusions that every single one of us can make start to change the outcome. And I'm not promising you that there'll never be worrisome days again in the future. Probably no way to eliminate that. But here's what I do know. Is that trusting in the Lord's way for finances can help bring peace in our life.